So I always try to get mine on before, but uh, I didn't get the mute tonight. Well, we'll work till Jesus comes. Amen? Amen. Wow, that's good. And, uh, you know, uh, the old uh, preacher said, uh, God wants everybody to work. Amen? He even named one of his books in his Bible, Job. Amen? Yeah, J-O-B, Job. <laughs> My goodness, it was a great, great time we had together this morning, was it not? Amen. Amen. And we are really thrilled with the uh, number of people that were out here today. And uh, we've got a good crowd tonight. Amen. So you all are building a good church. You know, it's not the job of one person to build a church. It's the job of all of us. Amen. And our work, our work is to carry out the uh, soul-winning effort that God uh, has planned in His Bible. And that means all of us. We're all challenged to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, really, in New York, the nice thing about New York City is uh, there are so many people here from all over the world, you can just stay here and go into all the world. Amen? And uh, win all kinds of people to Christ. And uh, I'm, I've always been excited about the ministries up here because I've always been, uh, not, uh, I've always been uh, uh, at least uh, have some knowledge about the fact that, uh, you know, there's so many different groups here in New York City that we can win them to Christ and send them back to their home as a missionary effort for the Lord. And that's happening all over the world. The Filipinos are starting churches all over the world right now. When I first went to the Philippines in 1968, there was just a handful of little churches. I remember preaching in churches where the floor was bamboo or a dirt floor. And uh, the roof was, uh, uh, was thatch and uh, the walls were made out of sticks. And now there's great churches there. I preached to uh, 18,000 people on one Sunday morning. Uh, in uh, in San Pedro Laguna, and uh, I, I just uh, God is just doing some great things there, and sending those Filipinos all over the world. Now, we need to we need to do that here, Amen. And uh, send out people from uh, our churches in New York City all over the world. That's the carrying out the gospel. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a great revival going on in the world. We kind of talk about in America, kind of a uh, slipping away and that there's uh, probably the, the church attendance in America is going down, but that's not true of the world. They say that in a few years there'll be more Christians in China than any other country of the world. Can you imagine that? And here back in the days of Nixon, China was closed. It was a so-called a communist country. It never was a communist country. It was a dictatorship. And, uh, and actually, we've never had a communist country. They've all been dictators, uh, ruling people, making slaves out of people. That's the idea of a dictator. And uh, making uh, uh, people do what they don't want to do. But uh, there's a revival going on in China. And pray for them. Pray that, uh, pray that we be able to uh, get in there with uh, training and uh, we be able to uh, teach the preachers that are, uh, are, are preaching to the people, train them right, and let them do it. Uh, we Americans uh, cannot go over and do much because we'd be a target uh, and make the preachers over there a target. But they can do a great work for God there and are doing it. And I think that, uh, I think that some of these days you'll see China as the number one missionary sending uh, country in the world. Wouldn't that be something? That would be something, wouldn't it? Those old Chinese missionaries that went over there way back uh, before the First World War and uh, right on up through the World Wars, uh, those missionaries that went over and, and suffered and, and sacrificed so much to do what they did, now I'm sure are rejoicing in heaven over all the souls that are being saved through the missionary work in China. Think of that, in China. Uh, things change. The whole world changes. Back in the 60s, when I used to go to Asia and come back into uh, America through, Hong, through uh, Honolulu, 
uh, they would inspect everything I had, made sure they'd see on my on my itinerary that I had been in the Philippines and I had been in Korea, I had been in Japan, and they'd go through all of my stuff, making or Hong Kong. They would make sure that I didn't have anything in my possession that was made in China. Can you imagine that? And if I had anything made in China, they'd take it away from me and maybe even fine me for having it. I've seen people go through the line and try to smuggle some things into America that were made in China, and they'd catch them. And I'll tell you, it wasn't a happy day for that guy when they caught him. It was terrible. Now, everything is made in China. Amen? Even American flags are made in China. Amen? And... uh, Everything but China is made in China, all right? But, uh, uh, you know, uh, we don't know, but we hope that you'll be praying for us, that God will bless us. Now, I have a real burden for Vietnam. And uh, I was there and preached in uh, five churches in Ho Chi Minh City just recently. And, uh, of course, our churches are all underground there. Uh, the government is not supposed to know anything about them. I think they do, but, you know, today, the way they uh, get information, they, I'm sure they know something about them. But, uh, you know, uh, they somehow let them go illegally. And uh, what, we're, what I want to work on is the possibility of getting our churches, uh, getting them uh, uh, legal so that they can operate over there freely. Now, all the pastors that I were with were Filipino pastors. And uh, they're doing a great work for the Lord. But if they had an opportunity to do their work openly, uh, I'm sure that uh, right out in the streets, inviting people, I'm sure that they would have the same revival there that we're having in the Philippines. So pray that we could get going on that. I could get going on it. Pray for me because it's... uh, it's something I need to get to some time with and some energy with and uh, see if we can't get somehow uh, some representation over there to make it legal for us to have churches. On the big churches that have... You know, Vietnam has had great churches in the past. Uh, even before the Vietnamese War of Independence, there were great churches there. The Christian Missionary Alliance had built some great churches there. There was some good Baptist ministries that were there built. And they have put a big red X on the outside front of the churches. And that means don't go in there or you're in trouble. I'd like to see the day when we could paint those red X's off of there. Amen? And open them up. So I hope that you'll pray for us. That You know, I don't know if you know this, but Ho Chi Minh was not a communist. He never was a communist. Uh, I know that uh, a lot of people say that he was, but he wasn't. He was a little guy about, I think about four foot ten inches. Weighed about 90 pounds. Little skinny guy. He worked for a long time in New York City and Boston. In fact, the matter is, he was a, he was a, he was a, uh, what do they call the guys that wash the dishes uh, in a restaurant? Well, he was... He was one, a busboy. He was a busboy in a restaurant right down the street from a gospel-preaching church. And on Sunday, that restaurant used to fill up with uh, Christians from that church, but nobody wanted him to Christ. Isn't that sad? And he, uh, he begged America to help him to be freed uh, from the slavery that was brought on by the French communists, our uh, French Catholics. And... Uh, Nobody would help him but the Chinese communists and the Russian communists, so uh, he, he became friends with them. But uh, you go there today, and it's, it's an, uh, economically, it's an open city. It's an open country. And the Chinese are moving in there with great big factories. So one of these days, you're going to see a lot of goods made in Vietnam. So pray for us that we could do something about that. Okay, I have a lot of... Prayer requests that I'd like to give you that uh, since I'm here uh, physically and I'm not just here by the reports that I send uh, to you in the mail or email, uh, I just would ask you to please remember us in your prayers. Thank you so very much for supporting us 
And uh, we try to make every dime uh, workable for the Lord. Lois and I are very conscious of that. We're not, we're not, uh, we're not spendthrift, uh, wasteful people. You know, we're born and raised uh, very poorly on farms. And on a farm, you know, you never threw away anything. Not even a tin can. We would get a tin can, we'd keep it. Uh, we'd have some use for it, to store something in it or, or to uh, use it for a scoop or something. We, we didn't throw away anything on the farm. And we were born and raised in that, and so we're very careful about, about uh, uh, using and reusing and recycling God's money. I call it recycling God's money repeatedly. Amen? Because what we, what we put into God's work reproduces itself. Over many, many, many years. You think about the people that put money into this church to start it. And the ones that put money into build, buying this building. You know, I mean, uh, this is an absolute miracle. Amen? It's a miracle to have this building here. And you think about people who put... Now the money they put in it is being recycled repeatedly. And the offerings that are taken, the, the work that's being done... And uh, around the world, around the clock, the gospel goes from this church. And uh, it's because people prayed and gave and loved God enough to, uh, to be involved in the establishment of this great church. So uh, pray for us and uh, that we might be able to do the work of God in such a good way that it will reproduce itself repeatedly. I, uh, I just am, um, Lois and I are really... Re- often in the middle of a rejoicing uh, over uh, how God has taken what we uh, have been able to uh, contribute to the Lord's work, how God has taken that and multiplied it. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, the Lord says, if you give up anything for him, that he give it back to you a hundredfold. And indeed, the Lord has done that for us. He has given it back a hundredfold. Uh, you know, uh, one fold is a hundred percent increase. Amen. One fold is. Get your mathematical mind now, all set up. How much is a hundred fold? Yeah, yeah, he got it. Not very many people can get that, but I knew he would. Ten thousand percent. Ten thousand, uh, because you know. Uh, a hundredfold, uh, one fold is one one percent or one hundred percent, and one uh, hundred fold is ten thousand percent. God does that, so let's pray and and uh, work for the Lord until He comes. Uh, we just got off the phone uh, to a young preacher, not a young preacher anymore, but he was a young preacher when we were helping him. We helped him start his church. Was involved in his life. Have always been. Involved in his ministry. And uh, he was telling us how God has blessed them there. You know, they're running about upward toward a thousand in Sunday school now. They got a Bible college with 80 students. They're supporting missionaries around the world. What little bit we made in the contribution to that work is just uh, amplified repeatedly. And so that's what you're doing here. And I hope that you'll pray that. Lois and I, in the latter years of our ministry, we're praying that God will give us at least 10 more years. Wouldn't that be great? Amen. Amen? I'll only be 70 years old then. Amen. You don't believe that, do you? No, you don't believe it. But uh, if I could hang on for 10 more years, I'd be happy. So pray for our health. Pray for our blessing. Pray that God would use us in a special way. All right, tonight I'd like for you to open your Bibles with me. Amen? You got your Bibles? Amen? Always carry your Bible with you to church. And uh, make sure everybody has a Bible to look at. These little girls here and uh, all of these people here, if you don't have a Bible, share your Bible. If you're sitting by somebody that doesn't have one, and there's one in the pew in front of you. Amen? Uh, Open your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Now, you can kind of find Psalms kind of in the middle of the Bible. It's a songbook, Psalms is. Uh, and uh, it is, uh, 
In reality, we probably ought to sing the psalms, only it's more difficult for us to put uh, music to these psalms in that they weren't originally written in English. Uh, We have a good friend up in uh, Anchorage, Alaska, Fairbanks, Alaska, and their singing is the psalms. It's a big church. It's a great big church. And their singing is the psalms. They sing the psalms all the time because it's a songbook that God has given us. And I want us to look at 137, 100, chapter 137, the 137th Psalm. I want you to turn there. It, it, it talks about music and some things about musicians. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about music before I get into my message tonight, kind of as an introduction or a basis on which to build a couple thoughts for you to take home tonight. And... Uh, I would like to say something about Christian music. You know, music is awful important to God. We sometimes kind of uh, think, uh, have an attitude toward music that it's just a kind of an add-on to the, to the uh, service, but it isn't really. It's as much and vital part of the service as preaching or any other part of the service. God likes good music. And uh, I believe God comes down and hears some of our good music sometimes, and I think God enjoys it. Now, music uh, is, proper music is very important in the church. There are a lot of churches now that have started uh, compromising on, uh, on standards in music. And it really creates, and I'll get into this in a moment, it creates an atmosphere in the church that I believe is adverse to what we want to do for God in Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. It's important. Now, music is several things. One thing music is, is rhythm. Now, if you don't have rhythm, you're not going to be able to perform music. You know, the old uh, songs we used to sing, you got to have rhythm, you know. Well, a lot of times we associate that with uh, jazz only. But uh, rhythm is a very important part of music. Timing is a very important part of music. Uh, You you have to have good timing to be a good musician. If you mess up on the timing, uh, you right away be noticeable to everybody that knows something about music in the audience. And uh, so timing is very important. It's a part of music. And then pitch is important. If you're not on pitch, if you're not on that note, then you're flat or sharp. And uh, that's a horrible sound to hear somebody sing that's flat or sharp or or trying to sing that uh, really can't sing. Of course, we all ought to make a joyful noise unto the Lord, but sometimes some of these people singing is not joyful. Amen. (laughs) We were in a church in... Uh, out in uh, Omaha, Nebraska one time, years ago. And uh, our family was conscious of, of singing and, and playing instruments. And so we were always uh, keying our ears in on, uh, on notes that might be flat or sharp. And uh, we, was, uh, we was in that church, and all of a sudden we heard this sound. It sounded like the grinding of gears in a semi-truck. And it sounds like scratching your hands on the blackboard, your fingernails. And all of those sounds can kind of come together, you know. And, of course, we were kind of looking around and saying, wonder whose voice that is. Is that a voice? <laughs> or is somebody dying? <laughs> and uh, we're looking around, you know. And, and uh, so we couldn't figure it out. And uh, I said to Lois, I said, did you hear that somebody singing? Did and I said to the kids, they were all saying, Dad, did you hear that? What, what is it? That has to be a voice, I guess. And, uh, and so we were talking about it. And, and uh, we went back to church Sunday night, kind of going to look around to see who that was making that uh, moanful sound. And uh, all of a sudden we discovered that it was the pastor's wife. <laughs> So we didn't say anything <laughs> during the whole week. But uh, all of us were hoping that she would not sing. 
or whatever that was she was doing. It wasn't singing. But music is all of that. But music is also message. There's a message in these songs. We'll work till Jesus comes. There's a message there, amen? I was listening to the ladies sing here. They're, they're, they're sounding beautiful. They've got a real good ladies uh, uh, group here and singing. Uh, I, uh, I listen real hard to music, and I always, uh, always try to pick out anything that's wrong. I mean, I, I'm a critic, really, maybe, I don't know. But, you know, uh, that sounded great, and you sound great, and you've got something going here with that. But music is not only message, but music is mood. There are moods set by music. There are some of our churches today that have some singers get up and sing, and they, they, they set such a mood in the auditorium before I preach, it's hard for me to get up and get started preaching. Recently, I was down in Florida, and they, they had just hired a, 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 a graduate of uh, one of the so-called Christian higher learning schools in music, and he'd got in there, and with his style of music, he'd killed the spirit in that church. I'd preached there many times before, and it was an exciting place to preach, but now it's dead. And so I got up and I said, before I preached, I said, okay, we're all going to sing. Do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. Now the ladies, do Lord. Now the men, do Lord. You know, to, to liven it up before I tried to preach because it was dead. I don't like to try to preach to a dead audience. Amen? You're not dead tonight, are you? How many of you are alive? Raise your hand. Let me see you. All right. That's good. Yeah, I look like a bunch of Pentecostals. Amen. But mood, I mean, music is mood. I don't know how you sign that. Mood. <laughs> music is mood. All right. Now, I want to read to you Psalms 137, verses 1 down through 4. By the rivers of Babylon... There we sat down, yea, we wept, when we, when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. This is what they say to themselves. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Now here's some men and women, I guess, probably at least a group of people that have been carried away from their homeland in Jerusalem to uh, Babylon. Down among the Chaldeans, the idol worshippers of a foreign land. And uh, these people that had made slaves out of them said, We want you to sing one of the songs of Zion. Said, How can we sing the Lord's song? What did they do? Well, they had uh, hung their harps upon the willows. And they not only had hung their harps upon the willows, but they had sat down. And uh, when they sat down, they wept. And when they wept, they remembered Zion. I can kind of feel the attitude of these people and why they had such a negative thought about singing one of the songs of Zion in a strange land. Because they were slaves. It'd be a terrible thing, would not it be a terrible thing to be carried away captive, especially in those days, because if you were carried away captive, you would never probably ever be able to get back home. At least they would think that. I mean, I can kind of sympathize with them, and I can kind of catch a little bit of their feeling and their mood as they sat down by the river and hung their harps upon the willows, because they were slaves. They were a product of something terrible happening 
in their hometown. For you see, there had always been a lot of music among the Israelites, the Jews. There had been a lot of singing going on there. In fact, the matter is, uh, we read in the Bible about uh, Israel. Uh, I mean, in the temple area in Zion, they had all kinds of singing. They had one a choir that stood on some steps inside the temple and sang, and they said it would fill all Jerusalem with beautiful vocal music. They, they were accustomed to music. Moses sang a song. In the, the book of Exodus chapter 15, and the Bible says we're going to sing that same song in the book of Revelation chapter 15. They, 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 Deborah sung a song in Judges chapter 5. David of Oaks, of course, was the editor of many of the psalms that we have. He was a singer and a musician and a songwriter and a king. God loved his music so much that he wrote it down. And we've got the book of Psalms today. There's all kind of music. Ezra, they sung with Ezra. Uh, the Bible says even the morning stars sung in the heavens. Jesus and the disciples even sang music together the night of the Last Supper when they went out from the presence of their uh, celebration. But because of the bad choices of their forefathers, these musicians had become slaves. There were some bad choices of their forefathers. We can read it in the Bible and see that there was all kinds of sins by their forefathers. And as I said this morning, it's important what we do because our influence with our children and with other people is uh, very critical. You see, where no man is an island, nobody is set off to themselves, by themselves. We are all of us combined together in the work of the Lord to influence not only the next generation, but people all around us. But Israel had lost that influence. They had sinned. Even David himself had sinned a terrible sin and uh, had been judged of God. Even, even the kingdom had been split because of the sins of Solomon. And the man who built the temple in Jerusalem, the man who prayed for wisdom, and I guess had as much as any man ever lived had. He let, uh, he let his, uh, his kingdom be split by Rehoboam and Jeroboam. I call them Ray the bum and Jer the bum. And uh, I mean, there all kinds of sins happened. And all kinds of wickedness happened. And so now these people find themselves, as a result of all of that, down in Babylon in a strange land, as slaves. You read the old, I mean, you uh, study the old Negro spirituals in America in the past. They were songs that were sung uh, by these people that were slaves in America, working the cotton fields in the hot sun without shade on their faces without food in their bellies. They sung such songs as, I'm going to lay down my burden down by the riverside. Going to lay down my burden down by the riverside. Down by the riverside. Down by the riverside. I'm going to lay down my burden down by the riverside. I'm going to study war no more. There's something about being a slave, being abused and misused by someone else. It's a terrible thing. We've got a lot of slaves in America. There are a lot of slaves that are slaves to narcotics. Woe to the people who sell and propagate narcotics among our people. Well, they're going to stand before God in judgment one of these days. And that's not going to be fun. When God reads the record 
of those people that have enslaved millions with their narcotics, making money on sin. Boy, I'll tell you, it's a bad thing to use sin to make money. And uh, there's a lot of that goes on. So you can kind of feel, can't you kind of feel a little bit of these people's attitude toward just saying, I give up and I quit and I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to weep. That's what they said. You see, they had lost their song. They had lost their song of Zion. You know, it's a mistake, no matter what the circumstances is around us, to ever lose our song. That is to say, the purpose of our being, the purpose of our existence, the purpose of God in our lives, it's a mistake ever to lose that. These people have lost it. Now, not everybody that was carried away captive by these Babylonians into slavery. And by the way, it wasn't a nice place to live. They, they spoke another language. And you know how difficult it is with language difficulties. It's a problem, an international problem. They ate a different kind of food. You go into some other place and try to eat their food and it doesn't settle with your systems. They, they, were, they were strangers and pilgrims in that land and they were kind of outcast. They couldn't mingle with the crowd like they would be at home. They couldn't relax with the people around them. They were slaves. And so they just quit. They lost their song. There were others there that carried away captive, like Daniel. Daniel was a contemporary to these people. But Daniel didn't lose his song. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the surroundings of Babylon. They, those people were idol worshippers. They ate food that the Jews should not eat. They were unclean. Their ceremonies were anti-God. But Daniel didn't just lose his song and sit down on the riverbank and pout. I, I don't like pouting people, do you? I feel so sorry for myself. I don't like that. These people were pouting. Daniel hadn't lost his ability to, to keep in contact with God. And in his own heart, the message and music of Zion was in his soul. Even to the place where he was put down in the lion's den. How would you like to be in a den of a bunch of lions? They stink. You know, them, them, them animals stink. And they've got this bad breath. Big old... Uh, man-eating teeth and claws. And they're big. They're a great big old animal, a great big old giant thing. Wow. And uh, they're fearful. Amen. I heard about this guy said, pulling out of his pocket his pen knife. And he said to his buddy, he said, you see that knife right there? And the keys, but he said, you see that knife right there? He said, the other day, I cut the tail off of a big old African male lion with that knife right there. How do you like that? His buddy said, whew, that's something else. He said, you had to be really brave to do that. Big old lion? He said, big old African lion? Yes, he said, I cut his tail right off of that knife. Wow. He said, uh, his buddy said, of course... <clears throat> I would have thought you would be braver if you'd have cut off his head. Oh, he said his head had already been cut off. Amen. <laughs> so he wasn't so brave after all, was he? But Daniel was down there in them lions. You know, lions have got fleas, and they got flies, and they got stink, 
And Daniel had to go in the den of lions. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Daniel didn't stop. Daniel didn't give up his song. Daniel didn't give up his purpose for being in Babylon, even though he was in the den of the lions. God shut their mouths and peeled up their claws, and those lions lay like little tame kitty cats at his feet. How about the three Hebrew children? Thrown into the fiery furnace. How much of you have never been around a real hot furnace? I mean a real one. I don't mean a little stove in your house with a fire as big as your thumb. I'm talking about a giant furnace. In America, they used to melt steel in a Bessemer furnace. It was invented by a man named Bessemer. Big furnace. You might want to read about it sometime on the Internet. It's very expensive. Very exciting, if you know anything about machinery, to read about that Bessemer furnace. They used to take mounds of coal as big as this auditorium and set it on fire and get, those co- get that coal burning hot. And then they would take a whole lake of water and dump it right on there, kashmash. And uh, when they did that, there was a steam smoke that went up as high as the jets fly. Stink. And our cities were covered with Ashes from that smoke, wherever there, was a, wherever there was a steel mill. And they would get that coal then to the place that looked like styrofoam. And they would put that in there, that coal in that furnace, and they'd shoot oxygen into it and get it on fire, and it would get so awful hot that it would melt steel. I've seen those big Bessemer furnaces. You can see them pouring that steel out of that, uh, what we call a cupola, into, uh, into ladles. And they would take the ladle and pour it into a mold to make something out of steel. It's a, it's a quite, have you ever seen where they would pour that steel out into a great big ladle? Maybe some of them that big around. And they would pour that then into a place to make billets of steel. It's quite interesting, all of that, to me at least. And I've seen, I've seen it because I used to work with it. And, uh, uh, it, it's very interesting how they do that. But I'll tell you, that furnace is hot. Let me tell you that it would melt anybody that got close to it. That's the way it was with the Hebrew children. That furnace was seven times hotter than it had ever been before. And they threw those guys in there because they wouldn't bow down to the idols of that foreign country. But what did they do? They went headlong into the fire with faith, knowing that God would not forsake them. And Jesus walked around in the fire with them. Wow. But these guys, these musicians, they quit. And they just sat down. And they pouted. To these people that have carried them away, say they, they required a song. And maybe a few jokes stuck in there to, take, to, to, to make uh, some comedy with their songs. They required of that. And they said, we can't sing this song in a strange land. You know, God had put them in that land. They weren't there by mistake or by happen so. God put them there in that land and God put them there to sing. God put them there to sing the songs of Zion. God put them there to take those songs of Zion and make them a testimony for God's grace and goodness. But what did they do? They didn't sense the purpose You know, it's awful hard for us to be able to see the greater picture of what God is doing here. Why God has got us here. It's not a mistake. It's not a happen so that we're all here together tonight. This is an appointment of God. God has put us here. It's not a happen so that you're in this town and you're in this church. You're in this, this ministry. I mean, God has put you here. He's got a purpose for you. Whatever it is, 
It may not be singing. It could be singing. But God's got you here for a reason. And just like these musicians, their job was to sing. Hey, God's got us individually a job to do for Him in this strange land, among these strange people, among all these people of idol worshipers and wickedness and sin. God's got us here. We can't just sit down in a cool. It was cool along the river. Hot in that land, but cool along the river. We can't just sit down where it's comfortable and cool and pout and say, I'm not going to sing the song or I'm not going to do what God wants me to do because I feel sorry for myself. Why do you think God's got you here? Why do you think God's brought you here? God brought uh, Peter Montoro and his family here. I believe that, don't you? Do you believe that? Amen? Well, God's got you here too. Just as much as them. And He's got a reason why you're here. It's not just because of the job you have or the circumstances that surrounded your life that brought you here. Hey, God had His hand in that. And you're as much a missionary right here in this place as anybody in any foreign field sent out by any church. To work among the heathen. God has put you here. But don't sit down. Don't lose your song. Be conscious of the, uh, of the fact that God's got you here and God's got me here and God's got us all here tonight and was there here this morning and I mean the purpose of everything. I mean to win souls to Christ, to pray, to uh, baptize the converts. I mean all of these things are bundled up together and each one of us here tonight have a very definite a part, that is to say, like a song that these people were supposed to sing, we've got a definite part in the work of God to do right here. Be conscious of that. Go home tonight, or to the altar tonight when we have the invitation, and say, God, what part do you want me to have? What, why, why am I here? What, what brought me here? God, what kind of a part must I have in the work of God that you put me here? I'm sure that there's around over the city tonight, there are places more comfortable, more entertaining to be in than this church. You could be sitting home in your easy chair, your feet up, watching a television or some kind of entertainment with a, with a cold Pepsi the side of your chair and a big old slab of pizza. But God's got you in church tonight. Now why? There's a purpose in all of this. Don't lose the purpose. Like these, don't lose your song. Be conscious of what God has given us all to do. 20 years? How about 20 more years? God may have you right here for 20 more years. Don't fight the idea. That God brought you here to be a testimony for Him in a strange land. There, you know, I could preach. I could preach all week on this subject, couldn't I? These people are these people are observing these singers. They're watching. They're 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 conscious of what's going on here. Don't you know? There's a lot of people watching us. They're watching our lives. They want to see something special out of us. We cannot fail them, amen? We cannot fail them. We have to be the testimony that they can build some kind of a hope and a, and a hope for the future on. I mean, there's nothing out there outside of God that is permanent or, or good or, or foundational. Out there it's all uh, slipshod, uh, temporary, uh, earthy, and... Uh, and wicked. I mean, we've got it here. We've got the song here. We've got the story of Zion here. Don't lose your song. Ask yourself, what kind of a purpose 
has God got for me in all of this? Every one of us have a charge. We mustn't lose our song. I heard a story some years ago about a man by the name of Robert Robertson. He wrote a beautiful song. We're going to sing it before we leave tonight. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Have you ever heard that song? Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy praise. It's a beautiful song. He wrote that song, one of the most beautiful songs in the songbook, to my opinion. And after he had written the song and had been involved in God's work, he got backslidden. And he got away from the Lord. And he kind of gave up. One day he was traveling from one place to another by train. It used to be that we traveled everywhere by train. You do that a lot here, but the rest of the United States, we don't have a good train system, and we should have, but we don't. And uh, he was traveling by train, and he got on a train car, and the car was full of people, every seat taken except one, beside a teenage girl. And so he walked up there and he asked permission if he could sit down beside her and travel in the seat beside her. She said, sure, sit down, it's fine. And she was sitting there with a song book on her lap, a hymn book. And she was singing to herself. Do you ever sing to yourself? Yeah, I sing to myself and I say sometimes, boy self, you're doing good. <laughs> right? I like to sing to myself. My wife and I sing together some. Uh, and we enjoy it. We, we get a hold of a song and sing it and sing it and sing it. It's just fun. Song music is important to, to your spiritual life. You ought, to have a, you ought to have a couple hymn books. Don't just get one, get two. You ought to have a couple hymn books at home. Where you can sing the hymn, hymns at home. You don't have to have the television on all the time. Turn the lousy thing off. And get your hymn book out and sing some of the hymns. You might not be able to get the tune just right, but uh, nobody will know that but you and God. Just enjoy it. If you don't have a hymn book, just steal one out of the pew and take it home. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> you can buy them, though. A preacher can tell you where you can buy them. They're available everywhere. Good song book. Good hymn book. And sing. And he'd written this beautiful song. But he got black, backslidden. And he's sitting there beside that little girl and she was singing out of the hymn book. And she's thumbing through and she, oh, here's a pretty one. And she'd sing it and thumbing through and she, oh, here's another one. It's beautiful. And pretty soon she came upon his song that he had written, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And she started singing that and she said, oh, said to him, oh, isn't that a beautiful song? She said, I would give anything if in my lifetime I could write a song like that, it is so beautiful. He said to her, well, this might be a surprise to you, but I'm the man who wrote that song. My name is Robert Robinson. I wrote the words of that song. And he said to her, I'm not today what I should be, and I would give anything that I possess to be able to be where I was when I wrote that song. But he said, somehow, I've lost my song. Don't, don't lose your song. Don't, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't, don't, don't lose the purpose of your life. Don't, don't be unconscious toward the plan of God for your existence. Get there and do the thing that God wants you to do. And you know what? Nobody can do what God wants you to do but you. There's no substitutes. Someone said, if you don't do the work, somebody else will. No, no, that's not true. If you don't do the work, it will not be done. Because God's got something for you and for me very particular and peculiar to us alone. 
Sing your song. Do your work. Be where God wants you to be. Even though it may be in a strange land. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I wonder if there's some here tonight would say, Preacher, somehow along the way, I've lost my song. I used to be, I used to be where I could uh, be used of God in a special way. But somehow I, I've, I've lost that now. I've lost the song that God wants me to sing. I've lost my purpose. I've, I've somehow, I've not been conscious of why God has me here and doing what I should be doing. And preacher, I want to be where God wants me to be. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to have the knowledge of his presence in my life. Preacher, I want you to pray for me tonight. Would you slip up your hand tonight across the audience? How many? Now, a lot of us. A lot of us. Did you understand my sermon tonight? I hope you did. Don't lose. Don't lose on what God has planned for you. Please don't do that. God wants you to be right in His will. I wonder while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, how many of you would say, Brother Clayton, I know I'm saved tonight. I know I've been born again. I'm trusting Christ for my soul. Would you slip up your hands tonight as a testimony? of your faith in Christ. God bless you. Is there some would say, Preacher, I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. Pray for me tonight. Pray for me tonight. Would you slip up your hands? Is there someone like that? Pray for my soul. Yes, God bless you. God sees that hand. God will see your hand. Slip it up to him tonight. All right, I want us to stand together, please, tonight. The number 607 in our songbook.